District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about the organization, visit www.cfact.org. Welcome to episode 175 of District of Conservation. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. I hope you guys had a great Mother's Day for those of you who are mothers or have mothers like I do. We're going to talk about a few things in this episode. I'm going to first dedicate some few minutes to talk about some news as it relates to the status of the POMA Board of Directors elections. And then I'm going to give you guys a preview of my forthcoming expose from the long shot tour that I just participated in, in Decatur, Texas. I'll give you a little teaser and we'll also include remarks from BPI CEO Nate Treataway. He helps manage properties like CBA muzzleloaders and also Bergara rifles. As some of you may know, I was running for the Professional Outdoor Media Association's Board of Directors. It was a month-long process, and I have some great news to share on this front. As you saw on social media, I was one of the six finalists to win a place on the POMA Board of Elections. And when I first found out the news, I was kind of in disbelief. I usually never put myself out there, and that's probably funny coming from someone who works in politics and analyzes and writes about elections, but I personally have no desire to do that, strangely enough, maybe because I have a little bit of a soul and don't want to really put myself out there for this kind of undue scrutiny that comes with running for office. But an organization like this, I said, why not? I was pretty comfortable putting myself out there before our membership across the month that we held elections. I laid out, I think, what was probably a very good campaign. I tried to not make it about myself and my personal accomplishments, but about what I could bring to the table. And I think I sold my fellow members very well on that front. So I'm so excited. I'm going to be serving alongside some great people. There are five other new board members joining me, including Jen Ripple, editor of Dunn Magazine, of Fly Fishing Magazine, Jon Snow from Field and Stream and Outdoor Life, Matt Soberg of Covey Rise. There's also Kevin Reese. There's also Tom Keir, who has been a great person to lean on in Poma, and he has helped me tremendously. I've talked to Tom, and we'll try to get him on the podcast at some point. Also, Lindsay Thomas from what is now the new group to have merged from QDMA and National Deer Alliance. And we have a new president coming in. She will be assuming that role probably around the time of our conference. Michelle Schuerman is currently vice president. She'll be taking over the helms of the presidency from Tony Bynum, the outgoing president. And there are current board members that I have gotten to know over the course of a few years. Several I've met in person, a few I have not met in person yet, but um, I'm excited to work alongside Kevin Paulson. Also, my friends Brad Luttrell and Nick Hoffman, who is not related to me, but it's kind of funny. We We've been able to become friends because of the shared last name, so that's pretty cool. We have a great crew. I expect there to be a lot of work to be done. It's a volunteer position. I can't wait to get started on 
growing our ranks, reaching out more people, seeing what will come out of our conference. And if you want to attend Poma's Business Conference, I highly recommend if you're a budding outdoor communicator, someone currently writing, and you just want to expand your horizons, you need kind of that boost. Poma can be that boost for you. And I'm not trying to sell you guys on anything. I can personally speak to the benefits I have been able to have since joining this organization a few years ago. And upon joining, I submitted some pieces for consideration for the POMA Pinnacle Awards. And I found out I was a finalist and I eventually went on to win the Pinnacle Awards in 2019 for my piece on grizzly bear hunting. And it's been a great ride ever since. I can certainly make a great case for you. And I hope you can come to our upcoming conference that is happening in Franklin, Tennessee, just outside of Nashville. Our business conference is taking place from June 15th to the 17th. And if you're not a member and you want to take advantage of a great deal for the conference, we are offering a, I believe it's $125 discount. Uh, If you use the code POMA125 in your registration fee, it includes everything you could possibly get in terms of full all access to the conference, meals, workshops, evening events, and so much more included in your registration fee will be a POMA membership for the rest of the year too. It is a great deal. I'm not trying to just sell you guys on it because I was elected to the board of directors, but it really is something to take advantage of. So if you're a budding communicator, you're a reporter and you want to see kind of your wings fly a little bit more, you want to forge better connections, network with some of the who's who in the outdoor industry across television, radio, podcasting, writing, multimedia, Poma really is on the cutting edge of marrying all those different interests. And I'm not, like I said, I'm not just saying that because I was elected to the board. I've seen the benefits myself. That's why I decided to get more involved in the organization, put myself out there and run for the board of directors. So I'm living proof that you can succeed in such an organization. There is upward mobility, there's room for growth, and it really is an honor. And I can't wait to get started. So that is my announcement. If you guys were curious about my update on that front. Here is a little snippet into my experience at the Texas stop of the long shot tour in Decatur, Texas that happened at Fossil Point Shooting Center. Like Remington, got it started in the muzzleloader business, but we didn't start with muzzleloaders until 1971, so we were a little bit behind Remington. But uh, back in when the whole muzzleloading craze really started to take off, some of you that are old enough to remember when Jeremiah Johnson came out, and all of a sudden, muzzleloaders became a really cool thing for people to get involved in. And the way I got started was my dad and I bought, believe it, and this was back in the late 70s, early 80s, bought CDA kits where you would build your own gun. And we just thought it would be really cool to build our own muzzleloader and go out and kill a deer with it. So that was my first exposure to CDA. But the brand actually started in 1971 as Connecticut Valley Arms, and this was uh, sword. Okay, all right. Uh, this was back uh, back when at the very beginning of the modern muzzleloader uh, modern muzzleloader craze. Okay, and everything was a traditional gun back then. Side locks, so you had flint locks and all that type of thing. Obviously, things have advanced a lot. Uh, back when I first started with the company 27 years ago, the inline rifle was just starting to come on, and uh, CBA was one of the many brands that was out there. There was Knight, there was Thompson Center, 
traditions, white. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, but there were probably 10 or 12 brands that were making muzzleloaders during that, what, what I would say were the glory days, when new seasons were coming on. Uh, the sales of the guns were absolutely incredible. Uh, even back then, uh, we were probably selling 80,000 guns a year, and we were a number three player in the industry at that time. But anyway, so the market matured. Uh, CBA uh, went on to uh, continue to improve its product line, and then eventually we expanded into barrel making. And that was because we couldn't make enough barrels for our muzzleloaders. That's how hot the market was. So we established our own barrel making plant in Bergara, Spain. During that time, the name of the company and the ownership changed and changed over to Black Powder Products Incorporated, now known as BPI Outdoors. And the transition from being just a muzzleloader company to being a complete uh, firearms company with hunting rifles and target rifles, all that started with the barrels. And so I guess that was, what, Chad, 15 years ago? And since then, that, that allowed us to start selling barrels to other companies. And so we had quite a few very uh, recognized Center fire rifle companies that were, we were the source. Bergara was the source of their barrels before we ever made a Bergara rifle. And then a very short while ago, it's hard to believe we've come this far, uh, but we started, we decided, hey, if we're making barrels for all these top of the line gun companies, why can't we make our own? And so we then started Bergara Custom Rifles, and then Bergara Custom Rifles evolved into that having production rifles. And so now, both the CBA brand and the Bergara brand are making bolt action hunting rifles. We've still maintained our position of leadership within the, um, within the muzzleloading market. So CBA is, has been the number one brand in muzzleloading for uh, 20, over 20 years now. So it's not something that we've forgotten about, for sure. And muzzleloading was the foundation of our company, so a very important part of it. But of course, there's a lot more growth out there on the center fire side. So very, very briefly, uh, that's kind of where it started and came and where we ended up uh, today. Any, any questions on that at all? Or, I know I went fast, but I didn't want to take up too much time. <laughs> So the 27 years of history combined. Enough, everybody can hear me. Um, as we were talking with the, the Gold Brothers earlier, Dudley hired me um, back in 1999. I've been with the company ever since, and, and started in a sales capacity, uh, and then eventually worked my way up into the to the operation side, and ultimately where I am today. Um, and I will simply say that that you know, looking forward at Bagar and where we are today. Uh, that's come about because we really were patient. Uh, we took our time on what we were doing, and we, we didn't have some arbitrary 18-month deadline or whatever you want to put on it like a lot of uh, startup companies would. Uh, we didn't care the very first year that we wanted to. When we first started making the custom rifles, uh, we didn't care whether we built five or we built 500. 
All we wanted to do is make sure that however many we built and sold, that the consumers, the owners of those rifles were enamored with them. Uh, and, and it painted our brand and our barrels at that time in a, in a positive light. And so we had our stable business with muzzleloading. It wasn't, wasn't glamorous or sexy, but at the time, again, it's still, as Dudley said, it's very important to us. Uh, it's a market that we understand very intimately, and we felt comfortable that we had that stability. And what, what we do is we look long-term at things. We don't look at what's gonna happen in one month or in 12 months. We, we look at, you know, literally decades. What's gonna happen? Where do we wanna be in 10 years? And so with Begara, um, we knew that we wanted to get into production rifles. Uh, we also knew that we didn't really know how to build them. We knew how to make a right or very accurate barrel. So we hired a couple of guys from uh, from the Marine Corps, what they call their precision weapons sector. You, you were you were a Marine, though, right? Yeah. Okay. So we got a couple of Marines in here. Anyhow, these guys, we hired two of them um, that were one of them was the the chief weapons instructor, or I guess that's what they call it, a guy named Dan Hannes. Dan was building. Uh, he basically was teaching all of the Marines at Quantico how to, how to accurize and blueprint a 700 action and build very accurate rifles that they were using in a professional capacity. Um, so we knew that he could take that, translate that to what we were doing on the, on the uh, custom side. And then at the same time, he and another technical manager were working with our guys in Spain to develop our own actions. Uh, what we realized is that even at the time, and I won't mention the names because they're, they're, you're going you're to know them, but we were using a custom action uh, that we were having um, marked with our Bagara name on it. And when they were buying those actions, they were still spending eight to 10 hours going through and blueprinting them and to get that action to run as smooth as they wanted to. We realized that you really shouldn't, if you're paying $800 on an OEM basis for a, for a custom action, you shouldn't have to do that. So what we did is we set out to have two different action designs on the bolt action, the B14, which we're producing in Spain, and then our premier action, which has a few more bells and whistles on it that we're making in Georgia. And with those, we wanted to address those concerns that we, that we saw. We didn't want chatter when you, went, when you go to cycle that boat. Even when you're loading on it, it shouldn't, it shouldn't dive on you and make it difficult to run that action. You need to be able to run it smoothly. Um, and so that was the first phase for us. Then we realized, you know, again, that, that there was opportunity beyond the bolt action center fire side. So you've seen us in the last couple of years jump into the rim fire market. Um, and now we have, uh, two years ago, we started with, with no rim fire actions. Now we've got three different uh, platforms out there in the market. We've got a semi-auto um, that's loosely based on the 1022 footprint, but has some other bells and whistles on it. Um, we have a trainer, which is based on the 700 footprint. Uh, and a lot of guys are using them either as a trainer or they're competing with them. And now as you guys are shooting here on the range today, the BMR, um, which is a scaled down traditional size 22. Uh, you will also see us in the next uh, probably couple of months uh, introduce another platform that, that, that we haven't uh, seen or discussed here today. And, and we're going to continue to enter new categories with the Begara uh, brand. And what we want to do is enter, enter categories that we feel like we can be competitive, where we can showcase the, the capabilities of what we're able to do as a, as a factory and as, a, as an organization. Um, and we want to kind of continue to grow that. So, but again, we're not doing anything that's short-term for us. Everything that we're doing, we're looking, you know, years and years down the road because of the, the literally the, the, one of the slogans that our parent company uses um, is generational employment. And, and we truly believe in that. And that's one reason you can see guys around like Chad's been here 20 years, or yeah, 20, 21 for me, 27 for Dudley. You know, we don't like a lot of turnover. We like stability. Um, 
you know, every now and then we'll introduce some fresh blood because we need it. But at the same time, we know who we are and what we want to be, and we know who we're not. And, and that stability and, and looking long-term is very important for us. Um, I don't know if I missed anything, but uh, but again, thank you all for, for being here. Any any questions for me specifically or for all of us as a group? Yeah, what's coming in a couple months? Uh, David? <laughs> <laughs> Something we were talking about. I'll, I'll put it on social media. We'll find it there. Okay. Uh, a, a completely new category for us. How do we... Uh... That's the best answer. Okay. <laughs> best answer. <laughs> And we've learned that we sometimes try to let things out too early, and then it's damage control. Yeah, we we are that one of the other things that we've learned, and, and um, you, as media, you will appreciate this. We historically have put something. We had an arbitrary deadline at the shop show, and, and by golly, it was either going to make the shop show catalog or it wasn't. And we might ship it February. We might ship it August. If we're lucky, maybe before the next shot show. And what happened was we, we'd get all this buzz and enthusiasm over it, and then all of a sudden there'd be a letdown, and you know the whole shiny toy syndrome would kick in, and people would go on to the next you know thing that was released. So what we're trying to do now is, is time these better to where we have um, some of the the, the the media support from from folks like y'all. Uh, we have inventory to support it, um, and we have a and our retailers have you know inventory as well. Our salespeople are trained on it, and so in this particular launch. Uh, we, we are uh, probably about six months behind on it. Uh, COVID set us back a little bit with some mold development um, and some of the final tooling that, was, that had to be produced, but that was kind of beyond our control. And with this one, given that it's a new platform for us, we wanted to make sure that when we introduce it, it's, it's introduced correctly. Um, and I will simply say that when we do drop it, uh, hopefully we'll have some support from you guys. At the same time, there will be inventory at the retail level and literally the day that we drop it, um, which we believe will be July 1st right now, um, but we still are reserving the right to, to move that out further if we need to, uh, that there will be inventory sitting at the retail level and, and everything comes together and then we're able to capture that excitement on day one, not on day 387 or whatever. And that's like today, you've been able to shoot the sidekick and you're the first people to see that. We launched it at noon today, so you were part of uh, being able to see that. But we've also learned it's like a tube of toothpaste. If you squirt it all out, it's really hard to get it all back in there. So we're trying to trying to not get the, the cart uh, too far in front of the wagon. Anybody else have a question? Let's save the best for last. Okay, I have an interview for you all with Nate Tradeaway from BPI Outdoors. I asked him how the company is doing, especially amidst the high demand for rifles, ammunition, and just different trends that we're observing in purchasing and gun ownership all across the board. So it was really great to get an industry perspective on this. I asked him to kind of communicate any fears or doubts he has about plans for President Biden to potentially revoke the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, which is a 2005 law that shields manufacturers of ammo and firearms from being sued by frivolous actors and you'll see in here is you'll hear his response to that answer i thought it was really interesting and kind of the fears that manufacturers like him and his company have and kind of the pandora's box that could open from that 
And I also asked, what are some models that potential buyers should look into across their different lines of Burkhardt and also CVA muzzleloader? So you want to stay tuned for that as well. But here is my conversation with Nate, CEO of BPI Outdoors. Let me know what you think. Maybe something more granular, big picture to start off with before I ask you about kind of fears from the manufacturer side. But how has okay. business been? Uh, how has business been for BPI and Bergara uh, in response to just the demand for personal firearms, firearms in general? What has been kind of that uh, observation that you guys have had? Well, um, you know, I'd say probably for the last 12 months, it's been, you know, historically strong. Um, we, when COVID first hit, um, I think we were initially worried, you know, about how it was going to impact our business because there's so many people whose livelihoods and income were related to the, um, you know, to the service sector. And, and everybody realized that that was what was going to get hit the hardest, hospitality and the service industry. And so we were we were genuinely worried, you know, about what that was going to do to business. And, and it was, you know, really very quiet for, I'd say, probably the thir- first 30 to 60 days. And then uh, I guess it was literally about this time last year. It was, it was probably mid to late May. Um, a light switch came on, and I think people realized that, that they could get back to doing um what they love to do, and that's get outside, whether it was turkey hunting or shooting, um, you know, just, just target shooting or, or whatever. And and we saw a, a very quick uh, and instant demand for pretty much all of our products. And um, and, it, and it really hasn't slowed down um, or, or uh, lost any intensity since. I can imagine. It seems like that's what the general response has been. They've put out different numbers out there pointing to the number of new gun owners and has there been a lot of interest in Georgia and outside of Georgia for Bergara products, you would say? Uh, absolutely. Yep. I mean, it's been across the board. Again, we've got people that are that are buying hunting rifles, um, you know, this time of year, which is very um, not unusual, but, but it's unusual that the degree of people and, and the numbers that are being sold. And we've got, uh, and then, of course, you know, competition shooters. So they're also buying. Now, uh, right now, in in May of 2021, I think we're seeing a little bit of a decline in in shooting, and that's simply because of ammo availability. Um, but mm-hmm. but our our backlog's at a historically high number, um, and despite that, we're still we're still meeting, we're still getting a lot of product out the door. Um, I was looking at our at our year to date numbers um, through April compared to last year, and I think our out the door shipments were up about 48 percent. So. You know, it's not it's not single digits and small numbers. It's it's large, and and despite that, we still have um, you know pretty pretty large um, backlogs of product to get out the door as well. I suspect that's a good problem to have. <laughs> you know, it it, it is, uh, and I'm I'm not complaining by any stretch of the imagination, but it it certainly creates a whole different set of uh, a whole different set of problems, and and uh, we're doing our best to management manage it, and we also realize that. You know, clearly we're not the only ones uh, in this boat. I'd like to think that that for the hunting-related um, side of the firearms business, that we we are seeing uh, unusually stronger demand, and I think that that's a little bit coupled with uh, you know the results of COVID, but also you know that that spurred new new participation for the hunting sports and shooting sports. So we saw a whole new wave, and I'm sure you've seen the reports where there were something like I don't remember the exact number, eight or nine million new participants that came into the market um, in 2020. Um, and then on top of that, we, we, you know, at least for the product lines that we compete in, um, 
when Remington exited the market, we saw also a vacuum of of you know their their product line demand, and and so a lot of that landed on our plates. So for us, it was kind of a perfect storm or a double whammy or whatever um, analogy you want to use for you know for the for the demand we're seeing right now. Yeah, it seems to be a common refrain uh, in the industry. But I wanted to ask you kind of briefly um, for town hall. Obviously, um, things are a little more political, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable answering this. But when we had talked in Texas, I wanted to get your thoughts on any fears that you have on the manufacturing side to the possible revoking of the Protection of Lawful Commerce and Arms Act, the 2005 law. And I was curious to know from a manufacturer's perspective like yours, um, the law creates immunity so manufacturers and dealers wouldn't be held liable for crimes committed uh, by criminals using their products. So what would happen and, and what do you think would happen with your business model if this were to be revoked? And what burdens would it create for other manufacturers like yourself, you think? Well, we, we've been actually watching it very carefully and, and talking through it. And, you know, honestly, I'm probably, uh, Gabrielle, I'm probably not as informed as I should be on the subject matter. But, you know, it's, I don't know that there's any other industry um, th- that has that type of a burden put on them uh, for lawful commerce. And so, you know, I, I do think it's a it's a form of um, discrimination, just just similar to what's going on with with the you know the banking side of the world, um, yep. where specific ideologies you know decide who they want to do business with and who's not, regardless of of lawful commerce. So clearly, that's a concern, um, and I think that it you know it, it really kind of weaponizes um, you know the the legal system and to, for people to push their their. Um, beliefs against it, uh, against firearm ownership and and the lawful you know use of it, and and I think for me personally, uh, and I guess also for a business position, you know, I'd I'd rather um, do a better job of enforcing the laws that we have and and making you know the crimes that are committed have more teeth and punishment related to them. Um, you know, one thing that I that I thought about um, a little bit earlier this morning is that there's a lot of um, technology that's used in the military world right now uh, that comes from the private sector. So really, if you look at our industry, uh, in a lot of cases, it could be argued that that we're a very large, viable R&D facility for our military and law enforcement. And, you know, when when, if if that law were to be... um, revoked and we had that um liability open back up to us I, I think i do think it would um put a hamper on on some of the innovation that we're seeing i also think that it would cause prices to go up because people have to uh are going to be prepared to pay higher liability on on frivolous um cases and and you know and again it's one more um tool of the of the uh opposition party to try to try to keep us uh, from, from doing what we're um, lawfully um, allowed to do. Indeed. And, I mean, I think what people fail to forget or fail to remember when you're involved in this industry, safety is the first priority. I don't think you, as a CEO of Vergara, wants anyone to abuse the products that you guys advertise and sell. I want people to have a safe and comfortable shooting experience. Could you speak to that component more? Because we see that uh, theme being echoed a lot more by individuals like yourself who work on the industry side. And why do you think that's so important, um, especially against threats of 
trying to cripple the industry where we know certain regulations have no measurable impact on stopping the crime that they claim to be targeting. It's more so to stop lawful commerce um, in, in essence. Yeah, well, you're you're exactly right there. Um, you know, going back to the to the first um, question, I want will you will you clarify that for me one more time? I want to make sure that I understood you correctly. Oh, with sure. what you were yeah, asking. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, about the, uh, safety being the number one priority because uh, you sure. be able to operate. Yeah. Uh huh. Yep. Well, it, it always is, and and as you know, that in our very litigious society. Um, we get sued all the time anyway for things that that are that are not related to us. So I know that there's a lot of hyperbole out there um, and grandstanding, if you will, about the fact that we that the firearms industry can't be sued right now. Of course, we all know that that couldn't be farther from the truth. Um, if there were um, something that were that were you know mal- manufactured incorrectly or there was um, negligence on our part, then we certainly would expect to be to be sued and 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 in fairness should be held accountable for any anything that we've done incorrectly. Um, but that's the same for any industry, whether you're the automotive industry or manufacturers of you know writing utensils. It doesn't really matter if somebody gets hurt with it. Um, and it was the, the fault of the, the manufacturer, then, then, you know, they have, there has to be accountability. Um, it's, you know, and it's already expensive for us as it is that we, we often um, are uh, sued when someone injures themselves, even if they're doing something um, that they weren't supposed to be doing. And in some cases, it's not necessarily illegal. It just may be something is, is not using the product accordingly. Maybe they... Um, you know, didn't have a proper backstop and a, and a bullet went into their neighbor's house or, you know, or um, they uh, hand-loaded something incorrectly. Um, but ultimately, you know, our, our, as a society, people have a tendency to deflect blame and responsibility. And, and you know, they, they always want somebody else to, to, to come in and clean up for them. And, and unfortunately, in our case, that's often the, the firearms manufacturer or the manufacturer of the product. Yeah, they and, want to you know, away, it, yeah, from wrongdoing to to finding a scapegoat, it seems. <laughs> yes, exactly right. And and I think that and, that's just kind of where our society is today, and and um, it's 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 tough, and you know, it's, it's even something that as a parent I struggle with with our children to make sure that they understand, and you know, it's not always trying to be punitive, but they have to understand that they they have to be responsible for their actions, and when they do something that's mm-hmm. That that gets somebody else hurt or gets somebody else in trouble or or you know hurts them with their grades, then you know they have to own up to it and they have to understand that there's consequences for those decisions that they make, whether they're a a, a kid or or adult. It seems like personal responsibility is lacking. And maybe something that I want to include uh, in the article. Do you want to? I know we had obviously um, tested and demonstrated new products, but is there any product in particular if? Readers, come through my article. Something at the end I should include for models that they should check out. Which models, new models especially, do you recommend that our readers look at? Well, um, let me let me ask you this: When is your when is your next uh, when will this release? I'm hoping for Friday. Friday. Okay. So at this uh-huh. point, I would say probably the the timing on it would be great for the uh, the new um, small batch um, pistol. Um, which is what we're calling the sidekick, and that's a that's a short. Uh, I think it's seven and a half inch um, barrel bolt action pistol, which I believe you, sh- you had a chance to shoot. And hopefully, I think you got some mm-hmm. uh, a little a couple of shots on on steel there at about 250 yards. 
Um, and that, I think just, you know, there's, there's a very small number of those, but it's the concept I think is more intriguing to a lot of people than that particular configuration. You're, there's, there's some people that that product is very, um, that it speaks to them and other people like, eh, wh- why'd they do that? That's kind of dumb. But for us, the, 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 the main reason we're doing it under that small batch is because it's not an evergreen product that, that is broad stroke for every, every farm's owner. It, you know, there are going to be some people that it, that it really connects with and other people, um, not so much, but the very next one that we do beyond that, which hopefully will be in a couple of months, um, the next release may be completely different. It may be something that's purely hunting centric. So, um, I think it's a cool concept and we're going to continue to, to spur out some, uh, or, or turn out some new, um, new offerings in that regard. And then, um, I would also just tell your folks to, uh, keep a close eye out because even, um, you know, mid to late summer, we're going to have some other new product category introductions and, and some of those are going to be, uh, will have much broader appeal to the, to the market overall. And they're, they're going to transcend some of the, the categories that we're currently operating in now. So it should be pretty exciting for us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nate. This has been great. And, uh, maybe I may use some of this for a podcast for next week. If that's okay, I'll edit it and refine it. Um, you is bet. that okay to do? Okay, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, and I should put out uh, findings from video sometime in the coming days. It's not this week. Next week can maybe coincide with the podcast and article, but it'll be out within the next, like, three to five, up to a week. Um, but I'll, I'll, have to, I'll have it come out next week in the worst case. Although well, I'll be sure to look for it and uh, appreciate yes. you coming to hang out with us and, and yes, uh, staying abreast of what we have going on. Absolutely, yeah. Hopefully you guys can keep me in mind for future stuff, keep me posted on products, and if I can be of any help, let me know. Likewise. Okay. Have a good afternoon, Gabrielle. Thank you. All right, you too. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I haven't really recorded ending statements because things have just been so busy on my end. So I apologize for that. If you have enjoyed the interviews we've had with some lawmakers, last week we had Christy Titus, host of Pursue the Wild. We had Thomas McCauley of POMA, executive director of our organization. I had Sam Ayers, also a fellow POMA member, but also host of the Wild Initiative podcast and other multimedia endeavors we will be having some great guests for the rest of the week we will be speaking to brandon mcdowell of texas he is a multimedia specialist filmmaker and photographer i've been connected to him on social media for a while and i really like his story and i think you will be interested in it as well And we'll be talking to Amy from Alexo Athletica, which specializes concealed carry wear for women, whether you're uh, desiring athleisure and you want to be able to conceal carry. Uh, Her company was recently featured in Forbes, and I've been connected to Amy for a while. I've been intrigued by her product. I don't have it. I don't have athletic wear where I can conceal my gun as well but her company has really just taken off a lot of people are really interested in the different apparel that is being offered and it caught the attention of forbes too so i figured we would have her come on so we're going to be recording that very soon as well it'll carry out to next week we're also going to be joined by the gentlemen of your mountain podcast we're going to record sometime later this week my new friends from wyoming who brought me out to get my first deer we're going to follow up with them and we're going to talk at great length about public policy and what is happening across the federal level and also state legislatures you guys ought to be aware of and i'll do my best to have some legislative updates for you all i promised i would talk at length about 3030 the new report just came out so 
I believe maybe Wednesday we can dedicate a little time to that and what you should be aware of. Some surprising things actually that I saw in the report that I did not expect to see um, and some of the worries that a lot of us have because while it did lay out some interesting things, I did not agree entirely with their proposal. Uh, there are a lot of different missing pieces, a lot of specifics not included. So that will be great to know if we can get some more specifics. So we'll talk both sides of 3030, kind of the implications of it, maybe some surprises from the report. The fact that they said voluntary action is key to conservation and also protecting private property, which you would not see communicated really much from an administration like this. And certainly I have been very opposed to what has come out of Biden's administration so far. I don't expect them to be a conservationist interior department. I expect it to be more preservationist uh, given everything else they've done. They may have some exceptions, but we'll be fair and I'll analyze it to the fullest extent as best as I can. Make sure you're following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat nor a guest announcement. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, we appreciate that so greatly. That's about 60% of our listenership. And if you haven't already, make sure you go leave us a review, five stars if you feel inclined. And just hit the subscribe button, download some past episodes. If you're just new and discovering us and you want to leave feedback, we'd appreciate that as well. Or listen wherever podcasts are played. We are very prominently displayed on basically every single podcast network, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts. I don't know what that's really called. iHeartRadio. We're also on Anchor, which is our distribution base, but Apple is our go-to. Stay tuned for a conversation tomorrow with Brandon and for more exclusive interviews and commentary discussions from yours truly here at District of Conservation. Thanks for listening.